You're listening to the Bowman of the Yard podcast. Exhibit G. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome again to the Bowman of the Yard podcast. Exhibit G, which means it must be probably about July the 1st, I'd say, something like that. Seems to be right, I'd say. I'm uh, Richard James, and uh, I'm joined yet again by... Peter Crouch. And uh, we're here for the next half hour or so, just having a little chat about the Bowman of the Yard series of books, um, and also I'll be reading a little bit of uh, my short story a bit later on, we've got some emails and so on, but for a fuller picture of what's coming up, Peter, could you just reach over to the Gladstone bag over by the fireplace there? Oh, just stretching... Yep, got just it. Okay, snap it go. open. Yeah, yep. now, okay. Can you find the uh, little diary in there? I've just scrolled some yes. things down there. This is what we've got coming up. We've got all the latest news. We've got a post bag simply full of letters to the yard. Marvellous. And locked away in our cells at Bow Street this month is author Damien Trasler. Ah. And of course, stay tuned for the seventh part of the Smithfield Murder. Yes, it really is the gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? The Smithfield Murder coming right at the very end of the podcast. Now, uh, Damien Trasler is a writer, playwright, script reader and consultant. He lives and works in uh, Vancouver in Canada. Uh, He's a founder member of the TLC Creative uh, team of playwrights and a former member of the Professional Writers Association of Canada. So someone a little bit different this month in the cells. In fact, he sort of uh, does everything I do, except curses. He got there first. Ah. Yeah, so we'll be heading over into the cells at Bow Street to hear from Damien a little later on. Now, uh, what have you been up to since we last met, Peter? Been reading anything or watching anything of interest? Uh, well, actually, I've been in the garden mostly because the, the weather has been simply beautiful, apart from the odd thunder shower. Uh, so I've been enjoying the rays and uh, tidying up my garden. Ah, lovely. I mean, I'm trying to be, keep out the sun and then, conversely, trying to keep out the rain. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been watching the uh, the Murder in the Car Park. Have you heard of this? Murder in the Car Park. Now, this is a three-part series that was on uh, Channel 4 in the UK over the last uh, couple of weeks or so. I think you can still find it on their catch-up service, All 4, I think it's called now. And it's basically uh, it's telling the story, the true story, of the murder of a private investigator, Daniel Morgan, in 1987. Uh, he was killed in a car park in Catford, I think, in, in, uh, in London. But the interesting thing is, it's still not solved today, 33 years later. I love a bit of true crime. And actually, what's so fascinating about it is that Scotland Yard have now admitted that the reason perhaps it wasn't solved in the first place was due to certain elements of police corruption. So it's quite a tangled web uh, leading from that particular incident in 1987. And what's really interesting about it is when you see, in 1987, they didn't have the benefit of new technology. There's this wonderful shot of these uh, detectives up on their... uh, uh, step ladder, trying to reach up to this great sort of whiteboard that seems to cover the entire wall of this office with all the timeline of the crime uh, marked out in pen and bits of paper stuck to it and pictures and all sorts. Really interesting. Fabulous stuff. Do check that out. It's called Murder in the Car Park. Quite gruesome uh, in its detail, uh, but worth a look if you're interested in, in true crime. However, that's enough of true crime. Should we have some fake crime and uh, see what's been going on in the world of the Bowman books? Extra, extra, read all about it! Well, finally, since uh, their republication by Sharp Books, I'm very happy to say that all three novels, that's The Head in the Ice, The Devil in the Dock, and The Body in the Trees, are now available in paperback. Uh, And also, The City of Death, which is the... um, collected anthology of the first four short stories also available in paperback so if you head on over to my website 
bowmanoftheyard.co.uk and follow the links. You'll be able to not only get the books for your Kindles, uh, but also in paperback to pop through your very front door. Now, you may have noticed, if you've been following, uh, over the last few days there have been various deals on my books. Again, through Sharp Books. Uh, for example, I think The Head in the Ice has been 99p for a while for your Kindles, and uh, still might be. Certainly is as we record this. And also The Devil in the Dock, uh, also 99p on Kindle. Uh, there have been various BookBub deals as well. If you don't know about BookBub, it's a free service that helps you to discover new books that you'll love through unbeatable deals and hand-picked recommendations that also updates from your favourite authors. So if you subscribe to BookBub, look out for The Head in the Ice, which is now subject to a special BookBub deal. And I know many people have been, because Peter, over the last 24 hours, I've seen the head in the ice rocket up the Amazon Kindle charts, uh, which has been very gratifying. So I know people have been, been buying in their droves. Have a guess, Peter, how many Kindle ebooks are available on Amazon right now, do you think? Ooh, it must be millions. It must be millions, and it is. It's 3.4 million ebooks are available to buy and download at any one time. And I'm happy to say, last time I checked, The Head in the Ice was at number 181 across the world. That's stunning. Isn't it? Yeah, very pleased with that. So thank you to everybody who's been buying a copy. If you enjoy it, please do leave a review uh, back on the Amazon link because that might um, convince other people to have a look as well. Now, how do you know about these deals? How do you find out when the head in the ice or the devil in the dock or the body in the trees is available for such a low price? Well, it's quite simple. You just need to subscribe to my newsletter. Just go to bowmanoftheyard.co.uk and hit subscribe and I will let you know when these offers are on. Or... Follow me on my Facebook page, that's facebook.com forward slash Bowman of the Yard, and I'll post the news there. And also, if you like the page, you might also see that I've been giving away some signed books this week, so keep your eyes peeled. And that concludes the news for this month. Letters to the Yard. Yep, there we are. Thank you very much to the wonderful Paul Putner uh, for uh, leading us into the Letters to the yard uh, yet again a full post bag as Peter said earlier via our Facebook page and also via podcast at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk uh, Peter what do you have there? Well we have a letter from Alex Pass and he says hello gents Doff's imaginary cap I'm really enjoying the Bowman Bites at the end of the podcast so would most definitely be up for Bowman audiobooks perhaps even the odd Bowman audio original hmm Great to hear that the series is proving so popular. Looking forward to the next phase of the story. No pressure, Richard. Evening all, Big Al. <laughs> also, we've got a, a note from Farah Shimbo. Uh, she says, listening to the podcast, you asked about audiobooks. Yes, please. Don't make me beg more. I really enjoy your characterizations, especially Hicks, a rogue and a bit of a scoundrel and so much fun. <laughs> also, we've got a note from Rob Doyle. Hi, both. Just finished listening to the latest podcast and enjoyed it as always. Just wanted to say a big yes to audio versions of your books, Richard. Thanks, Rob Doyle. And mm. also from Raymond Hunt. Really enjoyed the short stories. When are they being made into a TV series? <laughs> well, very good, Raymond. Well, you tell me. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Uh, well, so obviously a big thumbs up for audio adventures and the uh, narrated uh, books. I shall absolutely work on that. I suspect maybe by the end of the year I'll have all four books out. Uh, for you to listen to in your car or in your home as you do the hoovering. Uh, and yes, I'm glad, Farrah, you enjoy <laughs> Inspector Hicks, who in my mind, of course, is always going to be played by Brian Blessed. <laughs> of course. 
if we can afford him. Uh, now, I have one here from uh, Anthony who says, Dear Richard, the latest Bowman of the Yard podcast was delightful, especially the adverts. I've included a couple of real ones. For example, Hearn's Bronchitis Cure will ward off dangerous cold germs lurking in rain-soaked clothes. Barry's Trichophorus is guaranteed to restore thick, long and soft hair to bald heads. <laughs> it does seem, says Anthony, that everything old is new again. The attached article also proposes that red and blue light may treat coronavirus infections after being used to treat bacterial infections and tuberculosis in history. Heliotherapy or sunlight has been used since ancient Egyptian times, though I could imagine the Victorians trying to patent something like Dr. Foster's photobiomodulator. Feeling ill or slightly discombobulated? Then you need Dr. Foster's photobiomodulator. After bathing, shine the venerated beams from this magic lantern on your body as it banishes bacteria and vanquishes viruses to make you feel pure and young again. Ah, I like that. He thinks it would be wonderful if Inspector George Bowman one day investigated a case relating back to the Great Exhibition of 1851 and a mysterious alien artefact being left behind and forgotten about, causing all sorts of mischief. Kind regards from Anthony, who seems to have got a little bit um, Indiana Jones at the end. Of it. <laughs> Anthony was the one, of course, who got in touch with us a couple of months back about Bicycle Face, which is still my favourite of the, uh, the adverts. Uh, anyway, we've got some uh, words from our sponsors coming up a little bit later on. Peter. We've got a further question from Rob Doyle, and it's a question that I'd like to know the answer to as well. Uh, he says, Just one question, Richard. You were writing a new story for a collection of crime stories. When is it coming out? I need more new Bowman adventures. Keep safe, both of you. Ah, well, thank you very much, Rob, and keep safe to you too. Uh, yes, this is a compendium of Victorian uh, stories, short stories, that's going to be released in conjunction with the uh, Historical Writers Association and Sharp Books sometime soon. That's all I know. I did notice today that they just released a compendium of medieval stories uh, featuring eight authors, or the work of eight authors. Uh, this will be something similar, but from Victorian times. As soon as I know, Rob, I will let you know. That's all I can say for now. Uh, We've heard from Hayden Gribble, who you may remember was one of our previous authors in the cells at Bow Street a couple of months back. Now, he's been reading The Head in the Ice, the first novel in the Bowman series, and says, What a twist! When Dr. Henderson says he doesn't have a daughter, as I read that in my hammock, I actually said, Whoa! out loud. Well, there's an image, sitting in a hammock reading a book on a sunny day. Absolutely. Now, he's since finished the book and left a review, so thank you for that, Hayden, and I would, of course, encourage anyone who's enjoyed it to do the same. Uh, we also heard from Joanne Bennett. She said, I know what I'm going to spend my Amazon birthday vouchers on. I love these new covers. No rush, I still have the previous Bowman Hicks story to start yet, and I seem to be stuck on the planet Dune at the moment. Oh, Dune. Nice one, Joanne. Yes, we were asking uh, a while ago what um, other books people had on their bookshelves. I think I remember reading Dune about 40 years ago and haven't been back to it since. Uh, maybe I should. Ever read Dune, Peter? Uh, Frank Herbert. No, I never have. Saw the, saw the original movie, and I think they're making another one at the moment, or were, before uh, before lockdown. Or a series, I think. Oh, is it? Something. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I'm waiting for the call from my agent. <laughs> uh, now, a while ago, I posted on uh, the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Bowman of the Yard, that I was currently in the foothills of writing book four in the Bowman of the Yard series, as indeed I am. Uh, but then I'll have two short stories to write before I complete Bowman's year. However, even this far out, I said, cryptically, uh, I already know what the last line written in the last story 
of the series will be. So I posted that and got quite a few interesting suggestions from readers of the series as to what the final words in the entire series should be. Would you like to hear them, Peter? I would, yes. Now, we've heard from a few of these people already, and here are some of their suggestions. Rob Doyle, for example, said, Bowman's hand reached towards the glass. He hesitated. No, it was time to face the world without the familiar alcoholic haze. Ear Burgess said, And as the clock struck midnight, the snow started to fall. Which I think is rather romantic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raymond Hunt, who we've heard from, says, Closing the last case of the old year, Bowman wondered what new cases the new year will bring. Mm. Nice. And a couple more. Roger Smith. I'm getting too old for this <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. It's all right. I'll bleep that out. And finally, Matt Smith. My favourite, I think. Ow! Get off my foot! (laughs) Very good. What a way to end a series. If you have any uh, letters that you would like to send to us out of the yard, you can send them, of course, electronically to podcast at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk. Just a quick reminder that any moment now, we'll be visiting the cells at Bow Street to hear from the author who we've locked up in there this month, and that's writer and playwright Damien Trasler. Also, a little later, we've got part seven of the Smithfield murder tagged on just at the end of this podcast. And um, I've got some thoughts about Victorian food, Peter, that I'd like to share with you later. Mm. But in the meantime, let's have a word from our sponsors. A clear complexion. Godfrey's extract of elderflowers is strongly recommended for softening, improving, beautifying and preserving the skin and giving it a blooming and charming appearance. It will completely remove tan, sunburn, redness, etc. and by its balsamic and healing qualities render the skin soft, pliable and free from dryness, etc. Clear it from every humour, pimple or eruption and by continuing its use only a short time the skin will become and continue soft and smooth and the complexion perfectly clear and beautiful. Epsi's Cocaine, Cocoa Nib Extract, a thin beverage of full flavour, now with many beneficially taking the place of tea. Its active principle, being a gentle nerve stimulant, supplies the needed energy without unduly exciting the system. 1871 Recipe, Tastes Good, Absinthe, an elixir of intellect and vision, the artist's choice. As seductive and inspiring as its famous devotees, distilled in small batches from homegrown organic herbs, especially Versailles wormwood, together with anise, fennel and angelica in the finest traditions of the French masters. The colouring herbs used create the vibrant green hue. Absinthe. Tonight's folly is tomorrow's regret. Oh, aren't they fabulous? And isn't it isn't it funny how the more things change, the more things stay the same in a in a funny kind of way. Yes, they really are a hard sell, aren't they? Sometimes, but also how these days we're used to adverts being shorter and punchier. I suppose now because most of these adverts were obviously in print, you were allowed to be a little more verbose, paragraph after paragraph about the uh, supposed effects and benefits of particular remedies and so on. Mind you, that's not dissimilar to a lot of um, a lot of uh, social media adverts where they they take you down a very long video and give you a huge explanation before trying to sell you something. So it's it's similar in a way. Yeah, true enough. And uh, don't forget, I'm making little videos of those uh, adverts as well and putting them up on my YouTube channel. Um, so do visit youtube.com forward slash Richard James Author to have a look at them there. Now, Peter, who's that in the cells at Bow Street? Oh, I can hear someone rattling around in there. Is it a Mr. Trasler? You're nicked. 
Look, I'm not saying it wasn't a fair cop, me landing up here in the clink. I mean, we've all made mistakes, haven't we? I certainly have. Look, I wrote three e-books about the mistakes I made, trying to make decent costume helmets. They start with my cosplay disasters, and go on with more cosplay disasters, before ending, for now, with the tremendously predictable, even more cosplay disasters. I don't think there's anything illegal in the contents, just the records of my attempts to build reasonable costume helmets on a budget, including colour photographs. But I think the prices are criminal. And maybe I'm not the most honest gent. I do make things up from time to time. I mean, I've concocted a few tall tales in my time, and most of them are collected in four books of short stories. Troubled Souls, Coffee Time Tales 1 and 2, and science fiction shorts. But listen to me, rambling on. You don't want my life story, do you? No, you just want to hear about the interesting parts, am I right? The big jobs, as it were. Well, the biggest was when I moved my entire family over to Canada. I had to find a new house, new jobs, a dog. I wrote the whole thing down, a complete confession of everything we'd done in that first year. Every word of it is true. Trust me, on my honour as a man what makes things up for a living. If you don't believe me, you can order a copy of The Great Canadian Adventure off my mate, Honest Jeff Bezos, at that Amazon. Got his fingers in a lot of pies, as Jeff. Not very hygienic, if you ask me, but every man to his own, I say. Just because I've been brung to book doesn't mean that books is all I've got. I mean, fair play to everyone, I believe all the world's a stage and all that, right? So if all the men and women are merely players, right, what I'm thinking is we probably need some plays for them to, you know, act in. Which is my latest big idea. I've written a whole bunch of play scripts what stride the spectrum of the whole gamut of human experience sort of thing. There's your tragedies, your comedies, your short sketches, your full length, your pantomimes. Obviously, being in my current circumstances, I don't have any on me. But I lodge the whole lot with Lazy Bee Scripts, who make them available at very reasonable rates. Anyway, speaking of the theatre, I'm hoping this stint in the slammer is just an interval for me, not the start of the final act. Know what I mean? Mind you, I ain't seen anyone selling ice creams. Well, thank you, Damien. I promise we won't keep you in there much longer. Uh, Damien Trasler is a published and award-winning playwright, but he's also launched into the worlds of e-books with more enthusiasm than good sense, he says. His one aim is to eventually write a book so pretentious that he has to subtitle it a novel so people don't mistake it for a hat stand or some new variety of toaster oven. Uh, he lives in Canada now because, as he says, it's brilliant. So uh, great fun to hear from you, Damien, and uh, thank you for being our guest this month. Don't forget to tune in to the Bowman of the Art podcast next time when we'll have another author in the cells at Bow Street. And also, you can subscribe to us on whichever platform you're listening to us on, leave us a nice review and a rating, and uh, if you feel like it, you can even click on the link and uh, share us with your friends on social media so they get to hear us too. Now, Peter, just before we go, um, I thought I'd uh, interest you in a little menu for this evening's meal. Would you like to hear perhaps a typical Victorian meal? Yes, I am rather peckish. <laughs> well, you say that, you might well regret it. I've been looking at a great website called soyummy.com uh, where they've written, When Queen Victoria took to the throne in 1837, politics, religion and family life were reformed throughout her 63-year reign. And as the times changed, so did the food that was placed on the table. 
Although progress was made within society, the class system was still firmly in place and those classes were reflected in their food, which in turn was sometimes really bizarre. Uh, depending on one's status and income, one would indulge in several or some or many or none of the Victorian foods listed below. So Peter, for your delectation, I would offer you the following. A little starter, some marrow toast. Mm. Intriguing, yeah. It's actual bone marrow. Marrow uh. toast was supposedly a favourite of Queen Victoria. You cut the marrow into small pieces and parboil it with a bit of salt for about a minute. You drain and toss with parsley, salt, pepper, lemon juice and a smidge of shallot. And there's your starter. Hmm. I'm a little less peckish than I was before. Not so keen? No. <laughs> oh, well, how about this? Some broxy. A nice bowl of broxy? Tempting? Ooh, sounds like a broth or a soup or something. Mm. Now, times were tough for the poor during the Victorian era, and many would take anything that they could get, like broxy. Now, broxy was an umbrella term for any meat that the butcher had for sale that had dropped dead from disease. Sheep, which at the time were incredibly susceptible to many communicable diseases like tetanus, salmonella and ringworm, were most often sold as broxy meats. Still feeling peckish? I hope nobody's eating while they're listening to this. Exactly. And perhaps I can tempt you with this. Boiled calf's head. This is the worst possible thing you could have been served in the Victorian era. In 1861's The Book of Household Management, edited by Isabella Beaton, horrendous details show how one would prepare the boiled calf's head. The process began with scraping off the hair, removing the eyes and brain, and cutting off the ears. Uh, yeah, I think I, think I might give it a pass. Oh, come on, I've cut off the ears for you. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Uh, well, finally then, just to finish off, a little palate cleanser before your coffee and cigars. Heron pudding. Yeah. <laughs> Is that similar to blackbirds baked in a pie? <laughs> Even though this recipe was recorded for the first time in 1914, about a decade after the Victorian era ended, chances are that heron pudding made an appearance on Victorian tables. The key to making sure one's heron pudding turns out tasty is to make sure none of the heron's bones are broken before cooking. Handy tip there for your heron pudding. Oh. My challenge to you, dear listener, before we meet again for uh, Exhibit H, is to prepare one of those delicious dishes and uh, post a picture of you eating it up on social media. And um, why not hashtag it Victorian food, hashtag Bowman of the Yard. Time please, gentlemen. Let's have all your glasses. Well, thankfully, perhaps that's it. Yes, time has run out and uh, Harris, the landlord, wants us cleared out so he can tidy up and uh, mop the floor, I suppose. So uh, thank you for joining us again for the Bowman of the Yard podcast. Don't forget to hang on uh, till the uh, closing music finishes when you'll hear episode seven of my narrated short story, The Smithfield Murder. And uh, do get in touch at podcast at bowmanoftheyard.co.uk. We'll see you next time. Bye. See you next time. Bye. The Smithfield Murder, a short story from Bowman's Casebook, Part 7. The temperature had plummeted. Much to grave surprise, Inspector Bowman had called a halt to the investigation, immediately following his interview with Boothby. There's nothing further to be done, Graves. Bowman knocked sawdust off his hat as they walked back to Farringdon Street Station. At least, not until tonight. Even here on the platform, the ripe smell of livestock hung in the air. Bowman knew the line was shared with Smithfield Market, used as a boarding point for newly purchased cattle 
on their way to the slaughterhouses and abattoirs around London. Go home for now, Graves. The inspector had to raise his voice against the squeal of an oncoming metropolitan railway train. Steam and dust filled the platform as it hissed to a halt before them. They took their seats. For now, sir. Graves wiped soot from his eyes. Yes, Graves. We've got a long night ahead. How so, sir? They felt the motion of the train as it pulled away from the platform and into the labyrinth of tunnels that would take it ultimately to Paddington. It's clear Hippert has a hold over Boothby somehow. How else could he have withheld his rent and not been ejected from the market? Yet Boothby went to some lengths to cover up the fact. By altering the records in the ledger. Graves was nodding slowly. What doesn't he want us to know, Graves? And just where was Hibbert's money coming from? I suppose with no rent to pay, he was a sight better off than the other traders. Bowman smoothed his wide moustache with a finger and thumb, his frown cutting deep on his forehead. There's more to it than that, Graves. There was more in that tin than I could earn in a six-month. Get yourself home, brush the sawdust from your clothes and get some sleep. It might be a long night. The sky above them was clear. Stars pricked the sky. A full moon lit the way as Bowman and Graves moved carefully through Middle Street into Cloth Fair. They had both made something of an effort by way of disguise. Sergeant Graves wore a shabby cap and overcoat with a greasy apron tied around his waist. Inspector Bowman peered out from under a shapeless felt hat. His lean figure was swamped in a pair of overalls and a tradesman's coat. He was confident that, provided they kept out of the way of Boothby and the other men they had spoken to, they'd not be recognised. The bustle would be such that they could observe unnoticed. At least, that was the hope. Already they could hear the cries of the delivery men and the traders at the market. The moaning of cattle mixed with the occasional bleat from the lambs as livestock was corralled into pens within the huge structure before them. The grand avenue was crowded with men laden with cuts of meat, livestock being herded to their enclosures and marshals and foremen pointing the way. Through it all, Bowman could see Arthur Boothby. He was standing on an upturned crate, directing proceedings with a cane. Ticking off items in his ledger as they arrived, he was clearly in his element. Pages were drawn from the leather pouch at his side and handed to traders and deliverymen for signing. Now and then, his flat northern vowels would sing out with a command or a jest to be answered with a laugh, a curse, or an oath from one or other of the traders around him. What are we looking for, sir? The two men had stepped back into a doorway across the road. Anything out of the ordinary graves? Bowman had pulled his hat further down his head and turned up the collar on his coat, the better to hide his face. If we get separated, we'll meet at St Sepulchre's. Graves nodded in understanding. Keeping to what shadows there were, the two detectives stepped across the road behind a passing cart. Three sheep stared balefully out at them as it rattled past. Comically, Graves raised a finger to his lips to bid them quiet. He smiled at Bowman, impressed at his own joke. The pair slunk close to the edge of the great entrance, timing their movements with when there was the most activity around them. Stepping carefully through the dung and straw, they made their way off the Grand Avenue and into the market proper. You there! A voice rang out amongst the hubbub, coarse and commanding. Hey! The two men paused. To ignore such a shout would be to arouse suspicion. 
Bowman adopted an affected nonchalance as Grave turned to face a thick-set man with half a pig slung over his shoulder. Make yourself useful, he rasped. Get this pig to number 38. Grave seemed to relish the opportunity. Stepping forward eagerly, he took the weight of the carcass and shrugged it over his shoulder. Then get yourself back to the cart, continued the man, oblivious. There's more to be carried, and we're short on time. He cleared his throat. Spitting phlegm to the floor, he wiped his mouth with a sleeve, jammed a soggy cigarette between his teeth, and loped back towards the entrance and his cart. Graves turned to Bowman so the pig and he were face to face. Looks like I've got the perfect cover, sir. Very good, Graves. Bowman swallowed hard to quell his disgust. You're a natural. Hang about, sir. Graves' voice had fallen to a whisper, and he gave a nod to a corner across the hall. What's going on over there? Bowman turned to where Graves had gestured. Away from the crowd, a single cart stood by the farthest wall. Looking about him, Bowman could see the majority of traders were avoiding it. Some affected sideways glances or shook their heads as they saw it. Others nodded and shrugged or rolled their eyes to their colleagues. The cart was clearly the subject of some discussion, but no one seemed keen to approach it. No one except the seven men who presently rounded a corner, rubbing their hands with anticipation. They were led by a portly man with a shock of ginger hair and a pipe. Oh, she, he, breathed Bowman, and his lad. That man behind them is Griffiths. I spoke to him this morning. As did I the other four. Graves had manoeuvred himself so as to be hidden behind the pig at his shoulder. What are they doing at that cart, Graves? And why is it being given such a wide berth by the others? Only one way to find out, sir. Before the inspector could object, Graves had stepped out into the throng, using the pig as a shield as he skirted round the hall to the farthest corner. Glancing to the men once more, Bowman could see them being led to the back of the cart by the driver. He pulled aside a blood-stained sheet to reveal a pile of meat. The men nodded their heads with enthusiasm and shook the man by the hand before each taking a substantial joint of meat and slinging it over their shoulders. Bowman watched aghast as Graves neared the cart. As the men staggered back to their stalls with their load, he saw his companion discard his pig in a pile of hessian sacks. Keeping low, Graves rounded the cart. Choosing his moment as the driver mounted the cab, the young detective sergeant ran for the trailer and flung himself under the bloodied sheet. Bowman fought back the urge to shout an objection. With a crack of his whip and a whistle, the driver bade his horse move on. Bowman shrunk back into the shadows as the cart gained speed. It kicked up dirt and dung as it passed, the traders regarding it suspiciously as it rattled away. Bowman raised his eyes to the ceiling and hissed through gritted teeth. Graves! <laughs>